Hi, everybody. This is Katie, and I'm about to share with you an interview with an old friend of mine, Andrea Matthews, who is uh, currently working in Portland, Oregon, as a her job title is Shelter Project Manager, and she's working for the Joint Office of Homeless Services. Um, it's located in the city of Portland, Oregon, and it's a joint operation with the county that is that the city is located, you know, inside of or around or anyway. <laughs> it's Multnomah County, Oregon. Thank you very much. Um, anyway, uh, the topic is homeless services, urban planning, um, it's sort of a, a leafy residential neighborhood that's also an urban neighborhood in Portland. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's sort of a new job for her. She got involved with it through her neighborhood association. Um, she's the chairman or the chair of the board of her local neighborhood association. And this, the shelter that she's working as a project manager on is going in in her neighborhood. And, um, so we talked about that. We talk about, um, about homelessness in general, you know, uh, she's been living in Portland for, I don't know, at least a decade, I think. And I, I have my own experiences with homelessness, not personally, <laughs> um, although you never know. Um, but, uh, you know, I lived in San Francisco in the mid 2000s and definitely saw and experienced uh, a lot of it sort of in and around places that I either lived or traveled to and fro through or, or whatever. So, um, it's, it's a distressing thing, homelessness. Um, I remember going through stages of denial and grief and, and anger, actually, um, you know, you walk through it long enough and it, it really gets to you after a while. And, um, I remember I used to say a prayer every time, like, I'm going to help, I'm going to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to help, but I'm going to help somehow. And I didn't know how <laughs> it's just this whole, so we actually talked a little bit uh, about sort of what you do, like this sort of mental process that you go through when someone who appears to be homeless approaches you on a city street and asks you for money, you know, what, what's the calculus there? What do you think about, you know, um, and, and other things and, you know, how to look at, at problems as, sites for, you know, transformational change and, and maybe even possibly one day, like a gift, like a real gift to come back to, you know, the greater good in some way, you know, and that, and the extension of that is that if homelessness is a symptom of something in the way that we have constructed our society, um, is, and, and we really wholeheartedly try to tackle it and solve it, maybe we will, 
you know, in the process, solve a much deeper underlying thing that affects all of us. And the solution or, you know, it wouldn't be a single solution, obviously. <laughs> it would be a whole paradigm shift with that, but like, you know, that it would benefit all of us. And that there's, there's reason to like lean into our problems, to lean into the wounds, to lean into the things that are yucky and uncomfortable and that you wish would go away. And homelessness is, you know, is one of those issues, you know, it's, it's complex, it's tricky, it's multifaceted. There's not one single, like, you know, avenue to homelessness. There are a lot of different ways that people end up there. So, but we also talk, you know, practical, practical things. And I just wanted to hear from her. Uh, Andrea has worked as an architect in low-income housing. Um, she did that for about 10 years. Um, you know, the pandemic, you know, inspired her to, you know, uh, think about things differently. And she's still in that process. And this, this job is actually part of that. So she and I go back to fifth grade. <laughs> um, she lived here in the area uh, where I grew up um, before her family moved away. And it, I mean, it literally, except for a few letters exchanged in middle school, I had not talked to her or seen her since then. So that is a long time until 2020 during the pandemic, she reached out to me and, um, it was nice to just, you know, connect with an old friend too. So, but we didn't really get into any of that. We, we did stay on topic. Um, I might be able to edit it down to an hour. We'll see. <laughs> trying, trying, we're getting feedback that the episodes are too long. So I don't know, maybe if I did it in two parts. Yeah, anyway, enjoy. First, let's start with what it is that you do because I was telling someone that you, you're designing homeless housing and they said, but isn't that like an oxymoron? <laughs> Right. Right. So right. I, I thought I would just have you start from the top because um, A, I think it's just interesting. And I'm interested in hearing about like just even down to the the nitty-gritty of like what are the buildings like? You know, how are you planning them? And um, and then also kind of the, you know, that step back to sort of look at the issue of homelessness. And because you know, we don't have that around here. Poverty shows up in different ways here. And I know homelessness is not just poverty. And anyway, it's handled differently here. So, um, and then uh, just also thinking about like, even like urban planning and things like that. So um, what is it? First of all, what is your job title? <laughs> My job title is shelter project manager shelter. at the joint office of homeless services at the what office joint office okay and the reason it's called the joint office is as it was originally envisioned it was a collaboration between the city of portland and multnomah county okay 
working right. together. Mm-hmm. And so my role is mostly facilities related. Okay. So it has to do with developing. Because you're an architect, right? Yeah, I'm an architect and I'm working as a project manager. So okay. I'm not really in the design realm, except that at uh-huh. this point, except that I am working with designers. Okay. So, so that's interesting. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. I yeah. have experience from the project management realm. I I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can get down with that. All right. But it's like, it's the most satisfying, stressful job you can have. <laughs> that's how I thought about it. Right. Um, so, but you work for the county, right? Correct. So, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and so you're working on a project right now and it's yes they've broken ground it's a little bit complicated because we recently bought in the beginning of the year the county bought a a building that used to be a Rite Aid store okay to use as a homeless shelter ah is it like in where in Portland is it it's in North Portland it's actually really close to where I live okay so I got into this job through my role as the chair of my neighborhood arbor lodge neighborhood association um the chair of that and i found out about the job through that because this new shelter is coming into our neighborhood okay so in december the county bought the building Mm -hmm. and it has a large well it has a sizable parking lot on it not not that large and now the funding is available for the design process to start So the design process has begun on the permanent shelter, but in the meantime, while the future of the building is being designed, we are using the shelter or the space as a shelter for the winter. So it's going to open if all goes as planned on Friday. Oh gosh. And then it's going to be open through April as a winter seasonal shelter. And it's going to be open 24 seven. And during this past year, it could have sat vacant for the whole time. Instead, mm-hmm. what has been going on has been used as a vaccination clinic. Every Wednesday, they've been having vaccinations in there. And wow. then also it's been used this year as an emergency severe weather shelter. Okay. So there was an ice storm and a snowstorm, and folks were able to come in there and warm up and sleep and then so, we also so because in Portland ice and snow are rare is this <laughs> well ice the ice storm the ice storm was really different like that was the worst power outage that we've had in our recorded or in, since they've been keeping track of it mm-hmm. so yeah that level of ice storm was really unprecedented we do so, have snow so did the whole city lose power the whole city did not lose power, but okay. big portions of the city did. In fact, the west part of my neighborhood lost power for mm-hmm. probably four or five days. Wow. Okay. Because yeah. I mean, you know, we lose power out here regularly, but we're in the county and mm. it's very, you know, there's lots of trees and sometimes mm. when the lines go down, they have to hike in. You know, oh, they wow. have to hike in with backpacks or like they're flying these big helicopters and trying to wow. get you all. It's very remote. And right. so we're, you know, we have to have a generator, like you right. know, we bought a generator the first, after the first winter, I was like, we have to, have, because we don't, we have a well water 
So you don't have oh, water yeah. right. if you don't have power. Right. And that was my, you know, bottom line there. But for a city like Portland, a big modern city, and you know, so you're not like in downtown Portland, I take it. You're no. sort of in a suburban area on the fringe. Um, it's not really, I wouldn't say it's suburban. It's still, it's still within the city. Okay. All right. But it's but, a lot of, I mean, that's family major. residences. Okay. Yeah. That's major four or five days in a major American city. Like, yeah, that's big. Yeah. 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 And we don't usually have snow that lasts for very long. Also something else that's happened this year is we had these intense heat waves here in Portland. We had two so that it was over 110 degrees. Okay. And so we had the Arbor Lodge uh, site was open as a cooling shelter as well. Oh, so it had air conditioning that was functional. Yeah. Oh, good. So people were able to go in and sleep and stay there, get out of the heat. Because a lot of people don't have air conditioning in Portland. Like in the past, it wasn't something that you really needed. And now it's starting to be something that you do need here. So I imagine imagine that the whole narrative around climate change is very different there than because Mm. of these these events than it is here. you know, what's the narrative there? You guys must just be like, you know, feeling (laughs) the doom bearing down upon you and feeling a sense of urgency, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Cause it's, you know, that's, those are two, you know, very real events that have affected a lot of people's lives. And yep. I mean, plus we also had the wildfire smoke last fall, right? So that's, that, that was, was crazy. A thing where people needed to go around and tape up their windows so that smoke couldn't get in and have um, some kind of ventilation systems. Yeah. And that went on for also about a week where we had a high hazard level of smoke where people, they should not have been leaving their homes at all. Oh, wow. So, so we did, we had... I remember looking down in our lower yard and seeing this like bluish haze. And I was like, what is that? You know? And mm. then I found out that it was from the wildfires. It had come all the way across mm. and was not of the, you know, you wouldn't know unless you were watching the news that it was, mm-hmm. that that's what it was. Like you couldn't smell it or anything, but even at, at those rates, they told us we should minimize our outdoor time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I imagine just, you know, in comparison, it must've been felt apocalyptic there. It really did because the sky was orange. You know, you couldn't, it was like fog. You couldn't see down the street. Um, Everything was gray and orange. Wow. Yeah. That's that's and going outside was actually hazardous to your health. Wow at all, like just at all, like not right. just for just to go to this car, to go to the grocery yeah. store. Wow. Okay. Well, so, I mean, I think that this is probably some sort of explanation for the variance in people's sort of sense of urgency around climate change, because, you know, we have, we've had lovely weather most of the year. It's just been beautiful. Like even it's now, like, great. Even now, this the fall has been gorgeous. Oh my gosh, it's been so pretty. <laughs> and 
And wow. I know, I mean, I'm freaking out personally and people, mm-hmm. you know, they're, you know, there's a small percentage of us who are going, Oh God, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah. I think a lot of people just don't really think about it that much because you don't have to, you know, look around right. and weird. So, right. So it sounds like you all didn't have any extreme weather this past year. Not we se. had a lot. <laughs> yeah, you did. You had it in spades. We had four. And, and so events. in the midst of that, you're starting this work um, to, yep. you know, so actually sort of address, you know, a, adjacent issues to all of that mm-hmm. with you know, temporary housing and yep. so say again, what is it? So it's not homeless housing. <laughs> what is it called again? Uh, my job? No, like the, it's called a, a homeless shelter. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm working on homeless shelters Okay. and they, and, and people living in them are still considered homeless. Yeah. If they're living in a congregate shelter or uh, we're starting to call the villages, starting to call them tiny shelters. Okay. So you might hear them called like a pod village, an alternative village, a safe rest village. So they may be as small as eight by eight. And that's what we're putting at this site in Arbor Lodge. Okay. So, so um, lay it out for us. Like, so you've got your main building, the CVS building. And that's right. Aid. Have bunk beds or it's right. Aid, yeah. Yeah. Right. Aid, okay. <laughs> we don't have CVS as much out here. Oh, right, okay. is some. Um, yeah. So there's this big building used to be a, a right aid and it's now been cleared out of all the shelving and all that, a shell of a building. Um, and it's got heat and air conditioning and it's going to have uh, cots. It's not going to be bunk beds right now because of COVID. So yeah. we're giving people typically a hundred square feet of space within oh a, an open space. Okay. All right. Wow. And then, so that's going to house about 50 people okay. on the inside of that building. And then on the outside where we have 12 tiny shelters. Okay. That are eight by eight buildings. Okay. And um, is there like a community kitchen or a soup kitchen or something serving meals? There is a, there will be meals served. They're going to serve two meals a day, breakfast and lunch. And those are going to be prepackaged, brought in by a vendor. Okay. So no commercial kitchen in the. No, there's no kitchen in there right now. And it has two bathrooms on the inside of that building. So we're, we have a shower trailer with six showers and an, restroom trailer with six restrooms. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the, the little, the village of 12, eight by eight, that is tiny. It is little, It's very small. I mean, it almost feels like, like the expense of putting walls and a floor and a roof, like, you know, like to just wrap that around just eight by eight seems like a waste almost. <laughs> <laughs> but are you so how how are they constructed is it is it stick framed or they're actually panel metal panels are they so they can be put together okay one, you can put one of them together in an hour it's very oh. quick oh wow are they insulated they do have a insulation and in, about an inch of insulation or three quarters of an inch oh, of insulation okay. Can you, can, are they modular? Could you put like two eight by eights together and make a 16 by eight? Uh, not the ones that we have. Okay. Yeah. We're All just right. 
And the advantage of it is it gives people a sense of independence. I mean, it's different from sleeping inside where everybody's just in there all together, 50 yeah. people in a big room. Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, this is, this is the thing that I learned is that that's, you know, the, these shelters where you have no walls, no privacy, just piles of people like, you know, not only are you lacking privacy, but this is, you know, it can get violent. It can get chaotic. It can get mm-hmm. loud. And there's a lot of, um, homeless people who just didn't want to go into shelters because it was dangerous or frightening or just, yeah. you know, annoying, just, you know, just yep. hearing people fight. And I mean, sure. From, you know, yeah. All this stuff. So yeah, absolutely. It's having, it's having a little space of your own would be really nice. I can imagine. Yeah. But who qualifies, who gets those 12? <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be a matter of, um, a vulnerability, uh, assessment, but yeah, that's, we have okay. a provider who is experienced in running these kind of shelters. Mm. And so they're, they'll be the ones making that determination, but yeah, it's a new, it's a new model. It hasn't been tried okay. in Portland. We haven't had that combination of congregate and tiny shelter mm-hmm. working together. So the people in the tiny shelter will be using the building mm-hmm. for meals and other services well there there's only two so but they still can use them but um will I, they have their own they'll, water they'll have access water? to the no they don't have running water so they have access to those trailers that are outside okay also ah not exactly living the high life <laughs> no <laughs> no well yes so and, you, you've um, had a fair amount of volunteers so far, right? Helping on the yeah, project. The, the the we did just have a large group of about twelve folks came out and built the platform supports for the tiny shelters. And that was wow. really exciting. Some of them came from the neighborhood. That's great. and some all of them came from a local architecture firm. Oh, how cool! Yeah, yeah it's so they cool. donated their time and they came out yeah. and swung hammers. That's yep. neat. Yep, that's yep, cool. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You want to give a shout out to that firm? It's Scott Edwards Architecture out of and Portland. out of Portland and nice. they also were working with Home Builders Foundation, which is an organization that brings together people to do volunteer projects like that and they often mm-hmm. have skilled folks donating their time like painters or carpenters nice. that organized regular events that they want to participate in so yeah so yeah chris mcdowell from home builders organized that group he he knew them he'd worked with them before and that same group had worked on a previous shelter project in a north portland neighborhood called st john's cool so they had some experience doing that and he knew he could count on them to come and just get this thing done and you know you know, they got it done in four hours. It was pretty awesome. Wow. That's great. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We built a, a camping platform, a 12 by 12 platform on um, some property of, of ours. I mean, it was in the woods and stuff. It's kind of remote, but that took days <laughs> for the one. So that's impressive. I'm, I know it was pretty impressive. Impressed. Yeah, I, yeah. I was talking to Chris and I was saying, 
he's like they'll get it done it's no problem I'm like okay and he's like I was like what's the time of your what's the time of your event 9 a.m to 1 p.m that's exactly how long it took him <laughs> wow wow that's great so they were um organized by an experienced contractor or something yeah Chris is a okay. a licensed carpenter so okay he, let, he right. led them through the whole thing Oh, good. Oh, good. Because that was something that I, I mean, I was a gopher on the project. I could not, have, I couldn't have engineered it. No way. <laughs> so I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, well, that that's, really cool. that's cool. All right. And then we've also had a focus group from the neighborhood that's giving feedback on the design. We had one meeting of that. We have another meeting coming up on December 7th and then another one on January 25th where they can be following along with the design and giving their thoughts Okay. Uh, so that's been happening. Cause, and... Cause this is happening in phases, right? So mm -hmm. at some point, is there like a, a finished plan, you know, like when it's all done, it's going to look like this, or is it a sort of a discovery process? That's still in process. So right now we're in the pre-design or schematic design phase of the long-term project okay. and community members are giving feedback on that long-term version. I see. Well, sure. I'm curious, what's the, what's, you know, has there been, what's the temperature in the neighborhood for this? Yeah, it's really interesting because we, so far it's been very much supported. There's been a lot of traffic on Nextdoor. I don't know if you use that much, but it's an app where neighbors can post specific things related to their neighborhood. Mm. And so there was a lot of traffic on Nextdoor when they first bought the building. And we saw that it was more than 50% was, or maybe even more than that, was in favor of it. And so talking to folks within the joint office, they've said, this is the most positive experience we've had so far. Like usually neighbors are resisted a lot. Um, in this case, the neighbors haven't really been pretty much on board. In fact, right. I personally went and knocked on the doors of all the neighbors that live right next to the shelter. Mm -hmm. And every one of them said, Oh, this is great. That's exciting. Oh, cool. Oh, good. How cool. That was kind of that was really heartwarming. Yeah, that's really cool. If you could sort of have a sort of volunteer force and just I know, that, you know, constant sort of like a cyclical engagement with the neighborhood. I know. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Most of the complaints so far from neighbors haven't been about the shelter itself. They've been about the communication about the shelter. Uh -huh. They want to know what's going on. They want to know when they, when they can help. They want to know that their concerns are being addressed. Um, so they're like, we're not against it. What do you do attribute concern. that to? What do I attribute it to? Oh. Uh, I think it's because they've neighbors have see that there's folks living outside and it's really it's just it's the top priority for for the city it's just a thing that comes up constantly like everywhere we go we see folks living outside and is it okay and that's and, do, and it just is seems that to true be growing all over all over it portland is. and the surrounding area as far as like yeah it's wow. it's true all over portland and it's true in our neighborhood in arbor lodge we see more folks living outside along the I-5 corridor. Mm -hmm. 
And that's really hard to see that people living. So give right, me a sense right for there. like what density, like how many people per, you know, 10 blocks say, or five blocks or whatever. Oh, uh, uh, that's really hard to say. I mean, the last point in time count, they said there were, I think they said there were 4,000 people living outside in Portland. And there's a thought that, that's an undercount. Do you have encampments? But you, like, Are there like yeah, we have encampments. cities and there's a lot of encampments along the highway, along the freeway. Okay. So you see people living on these steep banks uh, right next to the highway. It's just, there's a lot of people out there that you oh. can, you can see their tents and you can see their, you can see their garbage. Um, and oh, there's a lot of concern about that. It just oh, hurts. Yeah. It hurts to see that oh, people. Oh, it does. There's it a does. lot of. I remember. Idea that people wish that would just kind of disappear, but there's also a lot of people ready to step up and do something about it. Um, mm -hmm. So, and there, so there is a lot of focus within the city right now on um, trash and homelessness. Yeah. And so I think because our neighborhood, they've seen some efforts toward it that have been working pretty well like we have this Kenton women's village that's adjacent to the Arbor Lodge neighborhood mm -hmm. and that's been a really wonderful experience where they've had great outcomes the women living in that tiny shelter village have many of them have been able to go into permanent housing oh, great. so it's been really really cool and then just it is it's having a positive presence and I mm -hmm. keep saying that like pe people want it to be a positive presence so they want right. to be involved well you want it to be a success you don't want it to just continue to be the same churn you know yes. of like yes. you know hard lives and and then the mm -hmm. danger that comes along with that so yeah. do you did this did homelessness in Portland grow dramatically with the pandemic or has it been gradually growing over the last decades? It's been growing. We've really had a focus on it since about 2015 or 16. Okay. Of increasing the shelter capacity in the city. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's an effort to keep up with it. But yeah, we, it, it's definitely more noticeable during the pandemic. Mm-hmm seen a lot more folks outside uh living in tents just then than we've ever seen before it's, it's like just to the eye you know you can yeah you can see it you can just see it more right well i i was curious about that i mean i know that there are some cities like austin which i only know about because i listen to joe rogan <laughs> he's um apparently the it was a there was a lot of you know, um, pandemic related homelessness kind of congregating, you know, probably in the Southern States, but certainly in a place like Austin, which is going to be more progressive and welcoming. Um, but I don't, you know, like, I think I know that homelessness has been, you know, sort of a tradition in San, places like San Francisco and Los Angeles, um, probably you know, because of the weather, you know, it's well, more, it's you also, can survive outside all year long. <clears throat> it's also hugely due to the lack of affordable housing. I mean, there's a direct link. 
Well, but there was also when when I was in San Francisco, I talked to enough homeless people who they weren't from San Francisco. They had come to San Francisco like it was it was a Mecca, you know, hmm. it was a place, it was a destination if you were sort of riding the outside edge of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there, you know, and there were plenty of like kids who were sort of, you know, slumming it mm-hmm. um, just for fun. And they would, but they would come to like the tenderloin and, you know, sort of do that whole weird scene. Um, and, you know, so it was, it was a place, but it was a place that people knew that if they were homeless, that they could come to San Francisco and at least the city was, you know, had, was going to be tolerant enough that they could sort of find a place there somehow. Mm. And I mean, it was not a great place. I always felt like it was sort of horrific and, you know, how could people live like this and how can we tolerate it? And it was hard. I lived in a, in a neighborhood that had, I mean, there was a homeless encampment on my block, like that would get cleaned up every now and then. And I used to talk to a couple of the people and it's hard. It's very hard. It's complex. It's not just affordable housing. Like those people, they were homeless for other reasons. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Right. That is a common thing that comes up. People are afraid that if they're, if they provide services that it'll attract folks. Yeah. Um, That comes up everywhere. Everyone. Well, so there, I think there's probably different populations within sort of the general homeless population. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are, I think there are a lot of people who they slip through the cracks down into homelessness. And if they can just have enough of a cushion to help them get up back up out and working and, you know, able to pay rent and stuff, they're not going to hang out there. Mm -hmm. And those are the success, the so-called success stories you know? Yeah. But then you also have people who, if they're not homeless on a city street, they're going to be living in a friend's trailer in their backyard on the property because yeah. mm-hmm. they just, they can't quite, you know, lock into the social construct. You know, mm-hmm. I had, I've had several people very close to me like that who, mm-hmm were homeless in New York Mm. and then ended up kind of bouncing around their whole life actually. Mm. But yeah, it's definitely very complex. Um, and it it definitely does relate to affordable housing. I mean, if there's nothing, if there's, if it costs you more than you can make to pay your rent, then yeah you're going to have more folks living outside. Right. It's just part of it. And it's very expensive out here on the West coast. Oh my gosh. So tell me what's a a typical rent. Oh, so probably a typical rent for a one bedroom apartment would be at least $1,200 a month. Okay. And is that going to be a super basic apartment a walk be pretty basic yeah 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, right. yeah. yeah. I so mean, that's... that is definitely out of reach for someone on making minimum wage. Yeah. Yeah. What's the minimum wage in Portland? Oh, that's a good question. You're asking me a lot of things. I want to, <laughs> I'm going to just look it up. <laughs> I, I know that Seattle didn't they they went to 15 right right um we're still at 725 or something horrifying like that it's like what like so okay so let's see let's see according to um the Portland metro area the minimum wage is 14 dollars $14 an hour. An hour. Okay. Yeah. And then for the rest of the state, it's like 12 to 1275. Okay. That's a lot better than here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's still, you still can't, I'm sorry. You can work 60 hours a week for $14 an hour and $1,200 rent is going to be pretty tough Yep. to swing. Yeah. Well, so I, I, uh, we, we, we diverted a little bit. I was asking yeah. your hopes and fears and, uh, oh yeah, you have a fear. The fears from other folks. I mean, uh, are that there will be more shelter, more, more tent encampments near the shelter. That's a big fear that folks have. They are fear, mm. afraid of property values going down. And that's mm. what I've heard. So, um, and I don't want that to happen, you know, like, Right. I, I, I feel like if we have, if the community's involved, if the neighbors are involved and in participating and connecting with people living there, like, like they are neighbor, they are our neighbors, you know, mm. can't forget that it's sometimes it, there's a narrative that homeless people are not our neighbors, you know, like they're not really people, but they are, they're our neighbors too. Yeah. So if everyone is working together, then it'll be it'll be an asset. It'll be something that is a place where people can connect and participate. You know, I the, always, I always think about like, you know, cause you can get into, you know, sort of a cost benefits argument over right. something like this and just go spiral down into sort of a fruitless sure. argument. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and all the fears and all of that. I think about the, the, the fact that something like homelessness, right? This is a phenomenon. This is a shared social phenomenon. And yeah. even though I'm not homeless and you're not homeless, our, our culture and our society is producing homeless people. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Yeah. Like, what is it about our culture, our society that has that as an outcome? You know, it's yeah. somewhere in the paradigm. It's in the in the social constructs. It's in the nature of the social contract. It's the things that we've agreed to mm -hmm. that, that end up there for some people. And yeah, and there's a definite race impact, a race aspect to it. There's a huge proportion of folks living homeless that are African American, Native American. So when there's you look at when you just look at a homeless encampment encampment is it primarily people of color well i can't speak about any specific encampment but 
but if you look at the statistics for folks living outside, it um, there's a high proportion that is people of color, and there's a high proportion of indigenous as well, and there's a high proportion of queer and trans, you know. Yeah. So right, it's a lot of it a goes lot of to teens, that. a lot of trans teens. I know mm-hmm. that that has a thing been a thing that happened. The domestic the, violence the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Because I uh, like when I was more like living closely around these populations, it seemed like a lot of them were Vietnam vets. mm, But I'm guessing those a lot of those people have died. Actually, they're in their Mm. 70s or 80s. Mm. Well, from what I've heard, the population of folks living outside these days is trending older. Is it? Yeah, there's a lot of folks living with disabilities. Mm. So it's people just falling through the cracks. Uh, yeah. It's what our society values right? and what it doesn't value. I, I think about, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Sonia Renee Taylor, but she's really a person I look to a lot. Mm. And she talks about a ladder that we're all on we're all comparing ourselves to other people and trying to get higher on the ladder and get, or I might think about it as a tent. Like, what can I do to get inside that tent that Mm. the white people, the skinny white people are inside of? (laughs) I want to get in and I don't care if anybody else can get in behind me, you know? Mm. And she talks about um, if we address what's at the very bottom of the ladder, we fix everything. Like, so if you think about folks who are disabled, they're limited in where they can physically go and be, you know, and it's something that we think about within ourselves. Uh, and there's, you know, there's centuries of, of oppression that are present. Well, you know, I think about it. So like, if you want to get, so of course, like the argument to like help people who are at the bottom is going to appeal directly to people who are sort of, you know, consider themselves warm hearted and generous. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Not to say that people who are, you know, more competitive and like, you know, uh, very sort of, you know, practically minded, not that they're not warm hearted, but that anyway, if you're, if you're like, if you're, if you're getting really practical, mm-hmm. I think about the huge untapped resource of like workforce of people who are either underemployed or unemployed or somehow like there's, we haven't figured out how to have, how to get contributions from everybody to our Hmm. society. And that is, that is a net loss of trillions of dollars a year. Absolutely. Trillions of dollars a year, people. So if you just think about it like that, you know, yeah. you can start to make an argument and, yep. and I do like, I, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've, you know, had a problem nagging at me, you know, nag, mm. nag. And I'm like, oh, I could just make that go away. And then I, I finally uh-huh. you know, took it seriously and it unlocked this huge whole, like, you know, whole potential, whole other oh, wow. thing, mm-hmm. like it gave me its gift. Right. Mm, mm, and yeah. so like this is kind of like a spiritual motto that I've started to take. It's uh-huh. like that thing that you think is insignificant and really annoying and you wish you could just get rid of, it yeah. might hold the treasure mm. you've been looking for. 
and you didn't know that you were missing. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, so like with developmental disabilities, I actually do um, some volunteer and a little paid work with our local ARC chapter, which is, Mm. so there's disabled and then there's developmentally disabled. Right. And, um, you know, the, the DD community has very, you know, they're very specific, like, you know, issues and constraints and stuff. Anyway, one of the ones that I, I realized at some point recently would be such a service if we could implement, it would be a service to all of us is this idea of universal design Mm -hmm, where you create language that is understandable to someone with a developmental disability Mm. for all of your legal disclaimers. Wow. Right. (laughs) Contracts. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be amazing. I would be thrilled if it was that easy to understand everything I have to sign. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Absolutely. Right. Wow. You're totally onto something. Who needs the freaking complication and make an argument that it's all about accessibility. You know, you absolutely could a hundred percent. Yeah. I really think it goes, goes Uh, to that, you know, and, 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 and that's an example where you can take something that you you're looking at as a limitation and you create liberation and freedom. Yeah, absolutely. I, to me, it all goes to belonging, belonging for everyone. We all belong to each other. Yeah, we do. And that's part of the problem. It's like, there's so much stigma for folks being, for folks living outside. We don't even want to look at them or acknowledge them that they exist or that there's a part of us that could be homeless we don't want to acknowledge that part of us I know you know know. we don't want to acknowledge the part of us that could have a disability we don't want to talk about or even acknowledge within ourselves those parts of us that don't don't go under the tent frightened and that are alone and that could end up living under a bridge I mean yep it's actually one of my deepest fears that I'm going to end up living under a bridge (laughs) I think it's the deepest fear for most people I know. <laughs> and because but they'll we're never so admit it. I mean, they're so afraid of it. They don't want to even acknowledge it or even see the people. We're so, I mean, especially Americans, we're so competitive. Hmm. We're so, we're so like conditioned to strive for success and to admire the, the people at the top of the pinnacle, you know, in that tent, in the special mm-hmm. club. And I think that there's an idea that obviously that homeless people are there because they just didn't want to work and that they, they, they did something wrong and they, and they just, they just don't want to like work for, you know, I work hard every day. Like, you know, why should I pay to house you? And it's like, I keep thinking about, I keep coming back over and over again to the sort of the social ills that seem to just always be percolating under the surface. Homelessness is an extreme expression of those same things. And, you know, if, if, if we, so if we solve that, it would take solving all of the rest of this and we'd all benefit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) It's yeah. And just as a reminder that we're all human, 
all of us involved in this issue, wherever we're situated in it, this story that Andrea shared about helping someone out during an ice storm um, is pretty funny. <laughs> it kind of, it's a reminder of that. I passed this guy who was sleeping in a bus or like this, I saw this bundle sleeping under a, um, in, in uh, just a bundle inside of a bus stop shelter. And I, I had just gone and grabbed some socks and a hat and, and then I went and then I saw this guy and I, and I was like, are you, and, and I was like, are you okay? Cause I heard him moaning and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so cold. Ah, so I go, Hey, I heard that you can get a free ride to a, an emergency shelter. Are you interested in that? Like, do you want to be inside? And there's a shelter that's going to open up tonight. He was like, yes. Oh my God. Yes, please. Oh God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's well, like, oh my God, please give me, I'm freezing. Aww. And I'm just moaning because it hurt. I'm so cold. But he was a mess. You know, his hair was just matted and, you know, and then I was like, all right, well, they need to know your name. He was like, okay, my name is Robert Plant. I was like, really? My name is Robert Plant? Are you serious? <laughs> and then they said, okay, well, we can get somebody over there in two hours to drive. And I'm like, two hours? It's freezing right now. And he was like, can you just drive me, Andrea? He wanted me to drive him. I'm like, I don't want to drive on this road either. It's, yeah. uh, it's like, no, I don't want to do that. So I said, hey, let's take the bus. It's bus is coming you know I think that you can ride it for free so I rode with him downtown and I knew exactly where the shelter was downtown and actually so did he he went he was like booking it he was almost running to get there okay and then, so the so he it, long story short he got in and he got he into got the in room. okay yeah that. he did he did yeah. He was about to be like, Andrea, okay, can you just wait here? Uh, maybe we can just hang out. You know, he's asking me if I want to hang out. And I'm like, mm, I, I think I'm going to go now. You want to, I, you, you're okay in here, right? Uh, and he's like, oh yeah, I've, I'm fine. And then he said I was a saint and he wanted to hug me. And I'm like, it's COVID. Don't, don't hug me. <laughs> it's, but this goes to the whole, like the awkward, like, I the way I had been in the past was like I just didn't give money to folks that are living outside because I'm like worried what would happen are they gonna do drugs whatever like I just didn't I just was ambivalent so I just didn't really help them but yeah after doing some of this work and going to some workshops and stuff it's like okay I kind of see it differently now I do think that when you give somebody a dollar it's an expression of love like most of the time nobody even looks them in the eye I would do, I would look them in the eye before and I would smile and stuff, but I, yeah. Know, I so what's the strategy money. that, that these workshops come up with for that? Cause this is a, a dilemma that a lot of people have. Like, what do you do when someone asks you for money? Yeah. And how do you, so, how do you respond to that? So. so, yeah, I went on a work to a workshop and it was a small group breakout and we all just discussed what we would do if somebody asked us for money and through that whole day, it was a day long thing up in Seattle. Through that whole day, we had people talking about the homeless issue from different sides of it. And by the end of the day, I'm like, these people are asking me for something that they want. Uh, who am I to say what they need? I have no idea what they're 
using it for. Like, right. I ha- I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. If they say they need a dollar, yeah, I'll give them a dollar. Like, if I have a I dollar, do, if, if I have I a have dollar, dollar, I'll give it spare. to her. And yeah. I'm like giving even more now. I'm like, all right, you know, I I am very privileged. Mm. You know, I mm. I I never thought I was growing up. I thought like, oh, I'm. I'm one of the loser kids or whatever. But when I look at it now, I'm like, dude, I am so privileged. Like Mm -hmm. I can walk into a Ace Hardware store and pick something up, walk out the door, forget to pay for it, go back in and be like, oops, I'm sorry, I forgot. And they're like, oh, we just thought you, they just totally give me the benefit of the doubt. Like if I was black, I'd be like in jail probably for all these things I do. Right. So So I get that I have a lot of privilege and not everybody has that. And I, I do want to, I do, I am committed to making reparations and in whatever ways that I, that work, you know, that's sounds really lame making reparations in ways that work. No, (laughs) I know. And it's not like you don't don't believe that you're going to make reparations for the larger thing by giving a couple bucks to a homeless person. Right. You're just acknowledging like that. I am in a position of privilege and you are not. And I don't know why you're standing there, but I'm not going to judge. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to sit here. being in the judgment game, which I think has been yeah. the dominant narrative. Like I'm not going to give them, you know, five bucks. Cause they're just going to go buy a bottle of liquor. And it's like, well, is that your business? Right. I mean, yeah, that's what I came to from that workshop. It's like, yeah, I don't know what they're going to use it for. And who am I to say what somebody else does with their money? Right. And clearly they are not living the life. Yeah. You would never trade places with them, even if they're going straight to a bottle of booze right now. (laughs) Right. Maybe that's what they need right now. Who knows what they're living through? They might be exactly. They might be slumming it and have, uh, you know, a trust fund. I don't know. I know. I know. (laughs) Well, but you can recognize those ones. You really can. They're usually young (laughs) and their, their clothes are usually too cute, you know, sort of like homeless chic. (laughs) Oh, yes, we would. I mean, I mean, they would come into San Francisco to kind of like, yeah, slum it and live it, live on the edge. And, you know, maybe they would smoke crack and do stuff like that. Like, you know, or they were like, there's, you know, there's heroin was out and then and now it's back in again, blah, blah, blah. But you can tell those kids from the ones who have are really homeless, like and they can't call mom. I don't, I can't tell them. I don't know. (laughs) Well, maybe you don't have that many of them there. I don't, I I mean, San Francisco is like a party city. Yeah. So they would come to party and Mm. slum it and, you know, live in the gutter halfway. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay, cool. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what people's past are. I I'm not gonna <laughs> speculate. I just this is true. If somebody asks me something, I decide like, can I give that to them? Right. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah, I am saying that I recognize that I do have a lot of privilege and that other people may not have. It was a whole thing about expanding the capacity of the heart. 
like the more your heart goes out to folks, like the more it's able to keep going out to folks. Absolutely. I mean, living in a wholehearted way is such a better way to live than, yeah. you know, are you going to use, you know, stingy and yeah, where, you know, like, are you going to use this the way I think you should? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, if you give it in a spirit of generosity and you let it go, like it's not up yeah. to me where it goes to. And it's amazing how that can turn your day around from a selfish right. perspective, you know, like me talking to somebody and being like, Hey, my name's Andrea and them telling me their name and telling me about the people they've met that day. It's like, wow, I feel a lot better than I did before I talked to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Andrea. And I, um, <laughs> is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Maybe just going back to community and belonging. That's, mm. that's the thing I'm, I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> getting started all over again. I know. Yep. I feel like I keep saying that too. <laughs> mm. oh. <clears throat> all right. What about you? Oh yeah. I mean, maybe it's the pandemic. Mm. Maybe but you know, sort of being in your early fifties, I feel like, yeah. you know, it's sort of like having a new lease on life. Yeah. Like, all right. What are we going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's exciting. Yeah. I'm, I am, um, I'm, I'm interested or intrigued in the notion of a second career. And, you know, you did that, you know, yep. architecture was a second, a whole second career for you. Yep. And, you know, and now post pandemic, you're applying it in this yet again, a new way um, yep. that argue, arguably is more people centric in a mm. way. Sounds like, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see how that plays out, but I definitely am involving community more now. Mm. Yeah. So that's a big, a big thing too. It's such a nice like way to like bring it all together. Mm-hmm. And- mm-hmm you know, you take a stressful job and like make it actually meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to keep doing the kind of oppressive form formulas that I, and I don't want to, I mean, it's, it's, blame it's, it's or anything, a whole but, paradigm, right. It's not yeah. like one employer. It's like, it's right. a whole like construct of like what a certain kind of job is and like, yeah. You know, I feel like these things, you know, they're all up in the air. People are like, wait, do we want to work like that anymore? Right. Like, exactly. Like cool opportunity. Life, life out of me. Yeah. 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 So awesome. <laughs> well, I will um, look forward to updates from the okay. bulletin board. <laughs> all right. Sounds good, Katie. <laughs> Super. <laughs> hey. Thanks for talking with me. It's great. so great to reconnect after so many years.